you have a Bible today, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. As we continue our journey through this awesome book, uh, today we're going to see in verses 6 through 7, Paul's class. He's teaching them. They need to learn uh, a lot of things about making sure they don't elevate men, making sure they understand the humility of what it means to be a Christian. And then secondly, we're going to see Paul's contrast. It's so different than the world. Thirdly, in verses 14 through 17, we'll see Paul's care. And as a father, he sees them as his kids because God used him to plant the church and he loves them. And so he wants to warn them and instruct them. And then we'll see in the close in verses 18 through 21, Paul's coming. Because right now he's writing a letter to them. He wants them to get right. But eventually he's going to show up and uh, he wants to make sure that when he does that it won't be discipline. It will be more along the lines of delight. And so we read in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn, there's that word, learn in this class, learn in us, not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Now, these things in verse 6, uh, Paul mentions figuratively transferring to himself and Apollos are more than likely in reference to the illustrations that he used in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you know, mentioning that they were farmers, that they were just builders, that they were just stewards, right? Paul says, that's all we were. Don't go beyond what is written in the Bible. Don't go beyond the scriptures. Learn in us, learn in this class, not to think beyond what is written. You know, we've learned in 1 Corinthians that there can be that temptation to think, think too highly of our leaders. Uh, and you guys, you know, thank God for our leaders. We're to love them. We're to pray for them. We're to, you know, be submissive in that spiritual structure. There is an aspect of honoring them, but they are not mediators between us and God. They're, the God doesn't love them more. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes we see, you know, in certain, you know, churches where they think that, well, you got to go to a priest in order to go to God or, or whatever, you know, the, there's the Pope and, and he's closer to God. That's beyond what is written. You know, the Bible says that we all have access to God in Hebrews chapter 4. And so Paul here is saying, even to himself, he's saying, listen, we're just builders, we're just farmers. One plants, the other waters, but it's God who gives the increase. And so as he's writing this, it's very important because sometimes you'll find in different ways, you know, that you go to the church, especially in South America, you know, they elevate their pastors to places that really are not healthy, you know, and they put them on a pedestal that they don't belong on. You know, for us here, we got to know that we're all equal, you know, not one better than the other. As a matter of fact, you know, I would say that there are some people that don't even have a position. They don't have whatever the status. But I would probably say at the end of the day that there are some people out there in the congregation that are, are probably closer to God than a lot of other guys. You know, so we don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go to the Pope. You know, we could just go to the Lord. You know, if a guy's up here teaching, like me, and I'm teaching the Bible, 
you got to check to make sure that what I say is true. You can't say, well, because the Pope said it or because Manny said it or the pastor said it. No, you check everything according to the scriptures, you know. That's why it was interesting when Paul went to Berea and preached the word there in the synagogue. Do you remember what happened? You know, they were listening to him and they were receiving the word with all readiness. But then we read in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they indeed eagerly they listened to Paul's message but they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth and so that's the beauty of Calvary Chapel that's one of the reasons we encourage you to bring your Bible you know to make sure that what I'm teaching you is what you know the Bible says and so Paul here is saying hopefully you learned in this class that you're not to esteem us any better than anyone else. Paul made these illustrations personal so they wouldn't think too highly of them because a lot of times what that does is it leads to an unhealthy relationship with God and others and even to divisions. You know, we're just doing our best to build as builders and to be faithful and obedient as stewards. You know, last week, as a matter of fact, it's interesting, and this is kind of heavy. You know, last week we learned in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4 that sometimes you got these, you know, leaders, pastors, priests, whoever it is, that are doing awful things. You know, so why would you want to put them up on a pedestal? You know, you might even have a guy doing the right thing for the wrong, for the wrong reason. Paul mentions that, that their motives are marred. One day, all that will be exposed. So why would you put such an individual on a pedestal? Remember what I've always told you guys, the best of men are men at best. And so we need to have a healthy understanding because what happens a lot of times is you get involved in churches and the guys, you know, he thinks he's all that and he starts bossing people around and, you know, controlling their lives and shepherding them beyond what the scriptures say. No, that's not healthy. You know, one of the beautiful things about knowing the Bible is that you can't be controlled by other people. You can't be manipulated. You can't be intimidated. If you really know your Bible, you will never fall into a cult. Why? Because you realize the truth. You realize the equality of every single per person, the priesthood of all believers. And what you realize is when you read the Bible, it actually sets you free. And so that's all Paul is saying right here. Don't think too highly of those leaders, man. That person you thought was perfect and all along was messing around with the sisters on the side. And then you find out why. Because God will reveal the hidden things of darkness. So praise God for these guys. But at the end of the day, you don't really know what's going on in their hearts. We have to keep our eyes on the Lord. So he's saying right here, don't think too highly of leaders. But then he makes a transition and he applies it to all Christians, really. We all have to make sure that we don't think too highly of ourselves. And he asks a few questions there in verse 7. Look what he says. For, for who makes you differ from another? And, and what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? I mean, who makes you different from others? It's God, and he has a reason for that. 
Just because someone's different, you shouldn't look down on them. It's God, right, who makes us different. And, and what do you have that you didn't receive? Like right now, we could all take a breath. <sighs> Come on, take a breath. You know, sometimes your watch tells you to take a breath. Who gave you that breath? Who gave you that breath? God did. That, the beating of the heart. You're like, well, I worked hard. These hands, you know, worked hard. Well, who gave you those hands? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the energy? What do we have that we didn't receive from God? You know, it would be like me boasting that I have a house. Hey, it was given to me by my father-in-law. How, how, how crazy some people get and they start boasting. That was the Corinthian church. They started boasting about their gifts and whatever, you know, the talents they had. And they started, you know, jockeying for position and trying to boss people around. It was a really unhealthy environment there. You know, Lenski said this. He said, three pointed questions now puncture the bubble of Corinthian pride. This is done in order to bring these foolish people down to the level of proper Christian humility. You're like, well, Manny, if we don't have a pope, if we don't have like a, a human leader on planet Earth, then how does Jesus rule his church? King Jesus rules his church by the scepter of his word. He doesn't need a pope. He doesn't need someone to do that. He's got the Bible so we can test everything that's said. And for the church, we need to walk in humility. There's not a place for pride amongst us. You know, right here when he asks who makes you differ, literally in the Greek language, what he says is who died and made you boss? That's kind of what he says right there, right? He, by his authoritative acknowledgement, who gave you the right to consider yourself any better than anyone else? So that now they have to look up to you and admire you. Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. Apparently that was happening in Corinth, and it does happen in churches that get weird. You know, people who know their Bibles will never be fooled by this. And this is the class that Paul says, learn from us. As I told you, we're just farmers. We're just builders. We're just stewards. You don't have to esteem us any better than anyone else. As a matter of fact, it should be that way in the whole church. Every single one of you, every single one of you is a vital part of this church. We all need all of us. That's kind of the way it works. And so we have to learn that class and then after Paul's class, then comes Paul's contrast, right? Because Paul actually now here, he begins to show them, you know, you guys are, are thinking it's this way, but it's a lot different. And in the process, you know what he does? He gets sarcastic. Any of you guys here are sarcastic people? Well, I want you to know it's biblical. It's okay. <laughs> Look at verse 8. He says, uh, you are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. He tells them, you're already full, meaning you don't need to be taught the Bible anymore, huh? You have all the spiritual food you'll ever need. He says, you are already rich. And, and you know, they may have been rich financially, and yet they weren't even close to walking in the riches that were provided for them in Jesus Christ. You know, it reminds me of the church in Laodicea. John wrote about it in Revelation chapter 3, the lukewarm church. You guys remember what Jesus said to them? I know you. 
I know you. You're, you're straddling the fence. You're, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. So gentle Jesus said to them, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because they said, well, I'm full. I don't really need God to speak to me. I got everything I need. I'm, I'm rich. And, and while Revelation 3.17, he says that this is the reason why. Because you say I'm rich and I've become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, it, it's really sad, really, when you hear some people say, well, I don't need to go to church service and sit in and, or read the Bible, you know, because I'm, I'm full, so to speak. I, I'm rich. I'm, I'm good. You know, there are literally, and I know you guys are cool because you're sitting in, but there's a lot of people that don't sit in. They're, they stay outside because they think they know everything. This really does happen. You know, Paul says, well, so you know everything? You, you have everything? You are everything. You know, Paul says, wow, I notice that some of you are like ruling and reigning. You're living like a king now. Paul says, man, I wish I had that kind of life. Our, our version of Christianity is very different. And you guys know, huh? You've seen it supposedly in the church. How Some of these guys, they're on television and they are filthy rich. They're living like kings and they're trying to tell the church that that's the way it is. But that's not what the way it is. Look what Paul says here in, in verse 9. You know, for, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a public spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Think about that. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. These guys, they, they thought, you know, well, I'm got this, I'm going to rise up to this position and I'm a king now and I'm going to rule and, and I'm going to reign. But let me ask you guys a question and hopefully you've been taught well. What, before the crown, something has to happen. What comes before the crown? The cross. Before the, the crown, there's a cross. You know, one day we're going to be there, you guys, and hopefully we're going to get our rewards and we're going to get our crowns. But until that day, all along for the rest of our life, we must take up the cross. We must be willing to sacrifice. We must be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we're not kings yet. We will be ruling and reigning one day with Jesus but if we really want to be effective, we've got to see what Paul is saying here regarding the contrast between the mentality of the world that sometimes creeps into the church and what God says it really is supposed to be like. Here in verse 9, uh, Paul here, he mentions the fact that we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Now, now a spectacle, the Greek word is theatron, where we get our word theater from. 
And so in one sense, Paul here says we have been displayed, we've been made to be seen by all demons, by all angels, by all humans. Why? Why? And there's, a, there's a, probably a lot to that, you know, because of the war that, that they're in. But, but part of it is because they're, they're an example. You know, when you go and we're going to see they're in this arena, we're going to see they're in this war. And, and you guys have you ever seen the movie Gladiators? And you know how they would go into the arena and they'd fight the lions? That's what was going on. I mean, you know, it's like life is not like this hunky-dory, simple life. No, we're in the arena, like fighting lions. Paul even said, I have fought with lions. He literally said that. Now, we don't believe it was a literal thing, but we believe it was an allusion to the fact that there, there is this type of battle going on. Can you see it? Have you gone to that, that movie, that, that message in God's movie? Have you seen Paul and, and these guys in the arena fighting this fight? This is a spectacle that they've been made. You know, Paul here, in, in looking at this, he says, man, it's something that when we're going to see, he kind of builds up on this that is important for us to understand. You know, in their little kingdom, the Corinthians had become emperors, while Paul says in God's kingdom, it's kind of like we become prisoners. As a matter of fact, the Greek word here translated displayed is a technical word for bringing a person into the arena. And so that's exactly what he's talking about. N notice again what he says right here, how, how God, verse 8, uh, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. Now, you, with the reason he's, he's displaying them last, he's basically saying that they were brought into the arena to be mauled and murdered to fight that fight in the order of events as if they were the grand finale for everyone to see. You know, in the original language, it's interesting, the word condemned here was used of criminals that were sentenced to death in the arena. And, and so you just begin to see the stark contrast here Paul is painting between those people in Corinth who thought they were all that. And, you know, they thought that as Christians who are leaders, that I'm going to sit on my throne and you're going to fan me and feed me grapes. That's kind of what he was, that's what a lot of people think. And Paul says, no, it doesn't work that way. And, and you know, he gets sarcastic with them. He says, you know, we're fools and you're wise and we're weak and you're strong and you know, we're dishonored and you're distinguished. And in one sense, what he's saying right here is, you guys are, man, you pass me up. And there's a lot of times where people in the congregation, they look at their spiritual leaders like, that's interesting. Paul says, in all honesty, the way that we live, we're poorly clothed. We're beaten. And, and the Greek word used here speaks of a slave being humiliated in his beating. It's not just like he got beat up. No, you could tell in those days if an individual owned a person by the way they beat them down, humiliating them. That's he, he says that, that's who we are. We're homeless. We're, we're laboring, working with our hands. Right here, the word, it means to do hard work, weary to the point of exhaustion. Apparently, there hadn't been a, a pastor's union formed yet, right? I mean, I mean, this was Paul. This is, it's different than the world. The world has their mentality, but God's is completely different. 
And I'm not saying, well, we need to go and, uh, you know, all dress poorly and make sure we're homeless. But I am saying this. We must be willing to sacrifice, willing to suffer by being obedient wherever Jesus calls us. He may call you to be a missionary where you're not going to have a lot of money. And you don't have a lot, you know, all the good food. That, that might be God's calling on your life. Or he might call you to different places, you know, where he says, Hey, I know you got a lot of money and, you, you know, your standard of living is increasing. But I'm calling you now to increase your standard of giving, not living. And, and everybody has a personal relationship with God wherein we must follow his marching orders and be obedient. And if it means that I'm homeless, then I'm homeless. Because I know that I have a mansion in heaven. All I'm saying is that we, we, a lot of times we do everything we can not to suffer. We do everything we can not to sacrifice. We try to make our service convenient as Christians. Listen, the word obedient is far more important than convenient. And we all have to check our hearts. You know, which one am I? Am I a king where they're fanning me and feeding me grapes and I'm sitting on my throne now? Or am I, uh, do I realize that the, the more involved I get in ministry, the more of a slave I'm called to be? Has that really penetrated my heart? You see, and so Paul here is saying, be careful. You've got to learn this in Paul's class and, and in Paul's contrast right here. You know, it's interesting here how different it is being a Christian Look again at verse 12. Notice what he says right here. And, and, and we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. Or as one version puts it this way, we bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. And we appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Now be honest. If someone curses you, what do you usually do? Most of the time, we don't just curse them back. We want to curse them worse. Huh? Isn't that the way it works? Like you put me down, I'm going to put you down harder. I'm going to take you, I'm going to slam you to the ground. I'm going to win this argument, right? But, but the contrast here is when we're cursed, we, and a lot of times we think, well, I'm good if I'm just silent. You know, like they said a bad thing about me. I'm just going to be silent. And the Lord is here saying, no, as a matter of fact, even that's not what I've called you to do. When they curse you, you bless them. And not a superficial blessing. If you want to be like Jesus, then that blessing has to come from your heart. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he was praying for their salvation. Think about that. Incredible. What he says right here is we bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. And there are many forms of abuse. I, I will say this, that if you're a wife and you're being abused by your husband, you leave right away. Don't stay in that environment. But, you know, well, there's uh, other types of abuse and there's things that go on. And Paul here probably was talking more along the lines of being beaten as a martyr. And, and while he was there, I think about being beaten down by whatever the Roman soldiers or the Philippian jailers or whatever it might be is beaten down. What does he say right here? When we were abused, we're patient with them. Why? Because I want that person to get saved. 
I know that if I die right here, right now, I know I'm going to heaven. I don't know about that person. Now, if someone's beating me down, someone's beating me down, I think by my nature, I'm like, well, I want you to go to hell. But Paul here is kind of saying, when you're like Jesus, you want them to go to heaven. You're, you're patient with them. And then he says right here, we, well, we appeal gently when evil things are said about us. You know, and you think, well, you mean to tell me you bless those who curse you? You're patient with those who abuse you? And, you know, when someone says evil things about you, you're, you're gentle with them? A king would never do that. But the king of kings did. That's Jesus. This is hard to do. But I want to encourage you, myself as well, let this be our goal. Let this be our heart. It can't happen unless the Holy Spirit really gets a hold of you. But this is the contrast between the way of the world and, and the way of God. And this is how it's supposed to be in the church. It's how it's supposed to be, right? You know, the world would never do this. I don't know if you guys have heard of that great philosopher, Aristotle. He declared that the highest virtue is megalascopia. And he defines this virtue as the quality which will not endure to be insulted. That was their philosophy. Now, we're here as Christians, and thank God for the Bible. We've been reading it. We've been taught it. But in Greek mentality, humility was not noble. You know, in the Greek world, humility was a virtue that was altogether novel or new. But Jesus gives us the, just the radical awesomeness of humility and, and agape love. This is our calling, right? The world would never do this, but the church should, because those are our marching orders given to us by Jesus. Uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, as a matter of fact, I thought it'd be cool to turn there to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. And just in case you didn't know this, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is the closest thing that we have to a Christian manifesto. Like, how is it that Christians are supposed to behave themselves? Now, of course, we read the whole Bible, but here in chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's amazing how detailed and practical Jesus gets. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 43. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect or, or mature just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And, and you know, what he says right here to me, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, but it, to me it's almost like the litmus test of whether or not you're really a child of God. 
Do you love your enemies? Do you pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you? Are you good to those who hate you? You know, the typical mentality we have is if you like me, that makes sense. I'm struggling. <laughs> the typical mentality is you like me, I like you. You love me, I love you. The more you love me, the more I love you. And what he's saying right here is that's how the, the pagans are. They're like that. If you want to prove that you're really a Christian, it has to begin with love. It has to begin with agape love, undeserving love. When they say bad things about you and they hate you and they treat you bad, but you still love them. You know, even with our kids, you know, sometimes, you know, our kids, I mean, uh, I love my kids, and I'm not saying anything necessarily about them, but I just know I've been around long enough to know that every once in a while, have you ever had a child that maybe is not grateful? And you expect them to be super grateful, right? Because you give them everything that they need, right? And so part of you, you have to go through that challenge. Do I really love them? Because, you know, in one sense, they're not really treating me right. And so then you start down, you know, wanting to stoop down to their level, and like, okay, well, then I'm going to fight fire with fire. And then, and then God says, wait a minute, time out. You love them. You love them into the kingdom. You love them. Show them your love. And even though they may never thank you, that's not why you do it. You do it because you're a Christian. So, so here, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that's what Paul is saying when he's giving such an incredible contrast. You know, and what he's saying is that it's a lot different than what you guys think. You know, we're not kings ruling and reigning. Notice he says even in verse 13, we have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. Now it's interesting here, the word uh, translated filth was used of criminals of the lowest class who were sacrificed as offerings for the cleansing of the city. Now, it's a real fascinating way that Paul is communicating here. Because in the Roman uh, religion with the Greek gods, if there was like an earthquake or a calamity or a pestilence, they would have these criminals, they would be there, and they would be available. And once something happened, oh, there's a pestilence breaking out, they would take the criminal and they would sacrifice him to their gods. Now. That's, of course, we know pagan, and that's not what God's called us to do. But in one sense, in, in a very roundabout way, Paul is saying, like, in one sense, that's us. You know, not that God would ever do anything to us, you know, that would be, you know, uh, bad. But we go through a lot. We must suffer. We must go through the fire. We must be servants. We must lay down our lives. We must be sacrificed. A living sacrifice for the people. That's who we are. You know, he says right here, we're the offscouring. We're the, we're the filth. Now, the Greek word for filth is the things that you wash off. You have to wash off. And the offscouring are the things that you have to scrub off. You know, like the toilet. You guys ever have to do that? You have to scrub. You know, uh, recently, oh, man, I made a big mistake, and the English ivy got on my house, and, oh, it's just awful. Pulled off the paint, so I pulled off the ivy. I'm washing it down. It's, it's still there, and so there I am scrubbing it. As I'm studying this, I'm thinking, Lord, this is me. This is ugly. 
And, and, and so you think you're all that? You think that people are supposed to look up to you? Think the world is going to admire you? Not when you're a servant of Jesus Christ. And we get this mentality that, you know, creeps into the church. And thank God for the Bible. Thank God for people like Paul and Apollos. You know, and we take Paul's class and we learn and we see Paul's contrast. And then we see Paul's care. Look at verse 14. He says, I... Listen, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church and so you know here we are and and you know as a church you're wondering well what what's it all about you know and of course we want to glorify God we want to reach the lost we want to build up his people but you know we want marriages to stay together we want families to be blessed and we want people to go to heaven you know and what I've been seeing lately and you guys are probably seeing posts is crazy things about people renouncing their faith that happens. That happens. So our prayer is that God, you know, keep us on track. Paul here says, you know, you can have 10,000 instructors, guardians, teachers, whatever, but you only have one father. In Acts chapter 18, you guys can read about it when Paul went there to Corinth and God used him to plant the church. It was God. He was God's vessel. He was chosen by God. He was God's apostle. He was anointed and given that grace to be that instrument wherein they were saved, right? And, and so what he's sharing with them is, I'm not writing this to shame you. I, I'm, I'm writing this to warn you because you're my children in one sense. You know, Paul uh, wasn't trying to do anything bad. I like what Wiersbe said. He saw himself as a father in the Lord who had to instruct and discipline his children in order to keep them on track. You know, the truth is Paul cared for the Corinthians. He loved them. He had a special bond with them because it was through him the church was born. And so Paul here says, that, you know, there's something special about that. You know, I want to make sure that you don't get wrapped up in these crazy teachers that will steer you wrong. I want you to go to heaven. I want you to be used by God. I want you to be blessed in every way that God wants to bless you. So he's writing to warn them, right? And, and he has a special relationship with them. I, I don't remember how, how long ago it was. I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. I remember I was reading this passage right here, and uh, I thought of... Uh, I thought of my pastor, you know, because we got saved at Calvary Chapel, West Covina, and the Lord used Pastor Rawl, and I'll never forget that night, you know, when I got saved. And so time progresses, you know, and just one thing leads to another. Next thing you know, we're here in this church, and God's doing a beautiful work, but I hadn't talked to him in a long time. And I, and I read it, and, 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 you know, people had been saying, hey, you should call Pastor Rawl. He's, he wants you to call him. He wants you to call him. And I was thinking, you know, he's too busy. I mean, here's a pastor, I don't know, a church, 10,000 people. You know, he's too busy. And so I didn't until I read this verse right here. And God just really pierced my heart. You might have 10,000 instructors. 
But remember, remember that vessel that God used to save you. So I called him. And I, was tr I just was amazed that he actually called me back. And, uh, and then we ended up getting together and talking. And, you know, just a lot was going on. And then one day he invites me to breakfast, him and Pastor Dale. And he says, hey, I want you to be a Calvary chapel. He says, the only question he asks is, will you listen to Chuck Smith? That's it. <laughs> you know, have you listened to Pastor Chuck? And that, that was it. And there was this, there was this, all I can say is that if, because sometimes people get weird through someone who, I'm sorry, people get saved through someone who's weird. So I'm not talking about that. And I'm not talking about someone who, they went off track now. I'm talking about someone that God used in your life, and they're still there. They're still plowing. They're still faithful. Their, their words carry a little more weight. There was a special bond there. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians because he loved them so much. I'll tell you what, as a pastor, and you get to see people either born again in, your, in the church or nurtured in the church, if he, if he is a true pastor, those people have a special place in his heart. And that's where Paul is right here. That's all he's saying. And because he wants them to stay on track. You know, it's interesting what can happen a lot of times, the journey that some children make. You know, John Corson talked about it. He said, in the lives of those you lead to the Lord or nurture in the Lord, you'll see this process unfold, whereby first they look to you for a number of years and they think you can do no wrong. Then they reach the adolescent ages to where they think you can do no right. And then hopefully they reach that age of maturity in which they appreciate you. And that's all he's saying right here. He cared, so he warned them. He said, imitate me. And what he meant by that is stick to the teachings that are biblical and doctrinal, right, that I taught you. You know, and so all he's doing right here is he's just giving them a fair warning, right? Again, verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, because there is a hell. There is a hell, and there is, you know, this crazy hell on earth. God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil. And so he just wants to warn them about those things. Some guy might come in the church and they say they're a Christian, but, they, you know, you had to test everything. What did they, is it, is it biblical? Yes, he wants to give them that warning. You know, many year, years ago, one of my favorite albums was an album by Van Halen. It was called Fair Warning. Any of you guys ever remember that album? You know, when I was younger, I, like, I still like all kinds of music, uh, heavy metal. I was a headbanger. I also liked disco, even though I didn't dance very much. I like the oldies. And so basically what I'm trying to say is I like a lot of type of music, but I, I did like Van Halen, right? And so this album was called Fair Warning. Now, one of the songs on the album was called Mean Street, Mean Street. And so in the song, he talks about how, hey, I'm going to get me a gun. I'm going to get a gun so that I can be not just someone who's hunted. I'm going to be a hunter, right? And so it was just the, the mentality of, of the street, man. And then he's in the song, you, I, I don't know if you guys have heard it before, but in the song, it, it says, somebody said, fair warning. Somebody said, fair warning. 
And then David Lee Roth, he said, Lord, strike that poor boy down. And the guitar goes, you know. Because <laughs> in the mentality of the streets, I ain't going to warn you. What, what good is that, man? But, but God will, does warn you. Listen, I want your Christianity to be, to be true. And you got to be careful because there's a lot of crazy things that creep into the church. Let it be biblical. It has to be from the scriptures. God cares, so God warns. And he uses Paul who fathered them in the faith, a man that was faithful to his word to encourage them to stay on track lest they be swept away. And so Paul's class and Paul's contrast and Paul's care leads finally to Paul's coming in verse 18. He says, Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness. You know, Paul says, some of you guys are, are talking smack, chest out, puffed up. Well, let's see what happens when I show up. And I'll, and I'll be there soon, and I, we'll see if you're real. You know, nowadays we have text messages, we have phone calls, we even have FaceTime. But there's something about person to person, huh, that, that's a lot different. Paul says, hey, I'm going to be there. And I don't think Paul was necessarily threatening them but he basically said that if they didn't get it right, if they didn't repent, he says, I'm coming with my chancla. <laughs> I'm coming with the rod of God to discipline if necessary because I have a calling in my life, and that is to protect this church. I'll make you step down from your throne. I'll kick you out. You can cry all you want, but this is God's church and we as leaders are called to protect it. We don't mess around with God's church, especially when it comes to division. And there, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, that's where Paul said, you're the temple of God, and if anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy him. And that context there is talking about how you know God lived in the church, and he didn't want the division. So Paul, he, he says, when I come, uh, this is a question. When I come, is it going to be uh, a, a day of discipline or a day of delight? And that is a bigger question because there's someone more important that's coming in the name of Jesus. And when he comes, when you stand before Jesus, will it be a day of discipline or delight? Some of you here, you may not know the Lord, and, and yet he died for you and rose again, and all you have to do is believe and receive Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you haven't made that step yet. I, I pray that today would be that day because of his great love for you. But I think for the most part, there's a lot of people here that they got one foot in and one foot out. And what God is saying is, listen, I, 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 if you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I love you. And all I'm saying is, let's, let's do this with all of our heart. Because when Jesus comes, will it be a day of, of discipline or delight? That's the question 
of our life. You know, recently, um, I don't know if you guys heard about um, Jess, Jesse's husband, Jerry's uh, stepdad, Reinhold. He had a heart attack. I actually had three heart attacks. And um, I was talking to Jesse. I don't know if it was Jesse or Jerry, one of them. And they were telling me the whole, the whole conversation about how, and if you guys know Reinhold, here's a guy with so much life. I love Reinhold, man. He was happy. He was uh, taking care of his little grandchildren as his own sons. I mean, he was serving in the church. Just an amazing man with so much life. But then the second came. It was just a second. One, he had a heart attack right there. And his, his wife was saying, and the kids were saying, that they looked at him, and suddenly, in that moment of time, it went in his face, it went from life to death. They saw death in his face immediately. And, and it, it was done. You know, it put him down. The kids are pumping on his chest. They put him in the ambulance. He has another heart attack. Gets to the hospital, has another heart attack. And he's done. And for whatever reason, and I think we know these things, I mean, we forget that can happen to us. Am I really ready to die? Really? And it's just been hitting me, man. Just one day, one moment, life. The next moment, death. You know, Craig was telling me about his boss. And I don't know about Craig, man. You got to pray for that guy. Because he said, yeah, Manny, he was your age. <laughs> and he ran just like you run. And he was healthy. And I'm like, dude, why are you telling me all this? <laughs> And then one day, boom, he just dies like that. And I was like, man, Craig. <laughs> but then you're just, you just realize that's real, you guys. I'm not trying to scare you into it. I'm just telling you that this happens and that Jesus loves you. Why would you be half-hearted? Why? He was nailed to a cross for you. Why would you not accept him when his forgiveness is free? He's coming. Either that or we're gone. <laughs> and I just pray that you would be ready.